COVID bill isn't that wonderful. The vaccine gives you COVID. Yeah. So do you have COVID? Well, <laughs> kind of. Kind of, kind of. Now the pill will fix it. We don't have 10 years to find out. We don't have 10 years to find out. Another revenue stream, the only true winners are the pharmaceutical companies. And I think this is a very valid point here. Um, I certainly hope we don't have 10 years to find out. I hope that the Lord will come you know, before then, and I think there's every possibility that that will be the mm. case. And that's how we need to live our lives. Um, the, the reality is that with all of these, with all of the, the tremendous, very variable things that we have done in relationship to COVID, we are not going to really know, at least for the next 10 years, what has worked and what has not worked and what has produced, you know, long-term side effects and what has not lo- produced long-term side mm. effects. We can speculate, but so much of what is being, you know, bandied around right now as fact is just speculation because mm. the only way to actually find out is to wait and see. Mm. We can do projections, but projections are only projections. We don't actually know until we're 10 years down the track. Let's pray that we never make it 10 years down the track. Praise God. Amen. I like that. All right. So you have COVID. All right. Uh, we have established that. Wait, so am I allowed to be here? <laughs> <laughs> All right. The new Premier, Dominic, he made a strange statement yesterday, and that is, it is not, a, it is not the job of the government to give people freedoms. That is Catholic doctrine. Great start for Church and State Premier. It'll be interesting to see what will happen next. So this is a, this is a really interesting one. That's a that's an interesting philosophy there. He did say that, and I looked it up and I read what he said. That's ex- that's a that's a word for word quote of what he said, and I'm kind of like, what what did you mean by that? You know, uh, let me just see if I can find it here because uh, here we go, here we go, here we go. He says, "This is I quote." I want to premier a state that is open and free. It is not the role of the government to provide those freedoms. It's our, it's in our innate nature as people born in our free country and we need to open up as safely as possible. I think what he's saying is that the government can't provide you freedoms. The only way that you can get become free is by providing your own freedoms by being vaccinated. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. It's a, a very strange statement. Anyway, that's what we said. Maybe he's saying is we're inherently free and the government just exists to... Recognise that? Yeah, recognise that and require, like, put, in, if that's the put case, restrictions in and, place. And if, 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 if that is the case, that we are born with innate freedoms, then I absolutely agree. Mm. And that's what I love about the U.S. Constitution, which we do not have in Australia, mm. is that the U.S. Constitution has innate freedoms. Where it doesn't mm. actually legislate freedom, it recognizes that those freedoms exist. Yes. So maybe that's what he's. That's maybe that's what he's saying. If, they, if that's what he's saying, that's a good thing. But then he doesn't like specify. Like he doesn't like say, "Oh, yes, we have innate freedoms like such and such." He's just like. And, and I think we need to. Uh, yeah, that's right. It, it could be. It could be. Much more better worded, or you can just <laughs> put it. Yeah, because you, you, you could put it like in the other sense, like in the full like this guy's a totalitarian. It's like yeah. if you live in a country with government, well, then you're not free. Like that. I mean, hey, we've got to remember that every person is an individual, and you've got uh, JFK who promised that he would not, you know, obey the Pope. He was a, he was America's first Catholic president, and lots mm. of uh, Protestants freaked out because of that. 
and like, yeah, here comes the uh, the end of the world because you've got a Catholic president. And he just stood up boldly and said, no, I won't obey the Pope and I won't stand for what the Pope stands for. And, and he died. And he died. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even get me started on conspiracy theories there. I have so many good ones on that one. Okay, let's continue on here. Finding peace within and not without. Only the love of God can accomplish that. Knowing the truth shall make you free. That is a promise of mm. God himself. Even while everything is collapsing around us, God is there looking unto G- Jesus, the starter and finisher of our faith. Wow. Spend private time with him every morning, and he will give you strength and peace. Mm. You know, I, I almost should just keep that text right there for the end of the show because mm. that kind of reflects what I say at the end of the show every day. Spend some time with Jesus. Yep. That's where you find peace. That's where you find chaos. If you wonder why it is that Christians are just sort of getting on with life while everybody else is losing their heads, you know, during COVID and whatever other crisis that comes along, there's a reason for that. Dude, totally. I was having a conversation with my friend yesterday. I have have like a couple friends who work in aged care because they're like medicine students and that's like a perfect industry to go into whilst you're doing your degree, particularly if you're from overseas and you can't like get hex or whatever. Like a lot of them have like family support coming in, but then they can pay for their degree as well. Um, with, oh, absolutely. with a, with a good paying job in an aged care facility. Yes. But, and, and it's good experience too, but then they just tell me just super harrowing stories of like, um, people who are getting up there in age and whatever. And they're just like, Oh, I don't want to eat anymore. I don't want to live anymore. Like, and, and they just stop eating and they stop eating. And it's just like, but then, you know, they, I was, they were telling me a story yesterday. So the guy, this guy stopped eating cause he was just like sick of it. And then he got super sick from not eating and then the, then so he had to eat and he did accept food and then the family was like really at odds with the with the the aged care facility because it's like oh why are you treating our people right and it's like well we can't force people to eat and just a really really terrible situation mm. and simultaneously i think of just so many elderly people i know in the faith who are just you know moving they're, they're in the same place they're dealing with their health complications they're have all those same struggles, yet they're just moving forward with the hope of Christ in the future, you know, rocking up to church every week, at least when they're outside of lockdown, you know. And it's it's powerful, just the difference in those people's lives. It is incredibly powerful. Mm. Um, all right, whoa, 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 whoa. let's go back here. I had a text from Braden here somewhere. Here it is. Uh, we have been praying for the leaders, including the one just elected in New South Wales. They need our prayer more than ever. Oh, amen. Absolutely. We talked about this yesterday, about praying for our celebrities mm. uh, because they are the role models in our society, whether we like it or not. Yeah. So we need to pray for them. We really need to pray for our leaders. In fact, the Bible says, like where it says to pray for leaders in First Timothy chapter 2, it says, but this is, it concludes by saying, for this is good and acceptable um, in the sight of Christ our Savior, like who came to save all men. Like mm. it's because... Even those people need salvation. Like that's the point that the Bible makes about praying for our leaders is like pray that they'd be saved as well. Yes. You know, rather than just being at odds with them. Mm. Finally, we have it's the government that took away our freedoms. I did not lock down myself. Oh. There you go. (laughs) Intense. Intense. Simply stated right there. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, Lawson, mm-hmm. you're not going to believe this. No, don't say you it. You are not going oh, to believe no, this. I, 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 I feel one, it. You, you are not going to believe this at all. 
All right, so 10 days, 10 days after studying, after beginning our study on the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to read from Deuteronomy. Oh, you 10 know days in. You 10 know days in. Let's go to Deuteronomy. You know, it would have been funny if you said, we're not going to read from Deuteronomy. <laughs> <laughs> so every morning here, for those of you who, well, I've guessed that's everybody, who doesn't see what happens in the studio, every morning when the Bible study starts, Lawson turns up all keen for a study on Deuteronomy, turns his Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 1, he's set, he's ready to go, and the Bible study sent him somewhere else. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're in. Exodus. This morning. That's not Deuteronomy. This morning, Lawson just said here with his Bible completely closed. He's like, I'm not even going to open my Bible. Yeah, he's just going to tell me to turn to Matthew or First John or what? Deuteronomy. Yeah. Chapter one. Oh. Verse one. Verse one as that's well. Where we start. We're not even paraphrasing. We're just jumping no, we straight jumping into it. Oh, we that's awesome. In fact, we're going to read the first six verses. Let's, let's do it. All let's right. Do it. I've been so hanging out. Deuteronomy is my favorite of the book. Well, maybe, maybe Genesis is my favorite of the books of Moses, but Deuteronomy is. It's up there. It's up there. Definitely. All right. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter one and verse one, the Bible says, these are the words of the, uh, that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. They were camped in the Jordan Valley near Suf, between Paran on one side, and Tophel, Laban, um, Hazaroth, and Dizahab on the other. Normally, it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going by the way of Mount Seir. But 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord had commanded him uh, to say. This took place after he had defeated King Sihon of the Amorites, who had ruled Heshbon, and King Og of Bashan, who had ruled Ashtaroth and Ederite. Man, this is so hectic. All these names. It continues on. While the Israelites were in the land of Moab, east of the Jordan River, Moses carefully explained the Lord's instructions as followed. When we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. Okay, there you go. We are into it. And uh, Lawson has been uh, practicing... Not being dyslexic this morning. Yeah, well, <laughs> clearly not practicing these names. It's like so intense. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I glance at this passage, like read the first six verses, and I look down, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> do you, Do you name things in your house? Um, sometimes. Shell, my wife, she loves to name things in her house. Sure, she has all kinds of things. Like each one of the remotes has a name. <laughs> There are, there are various things that have a name. The cars have names. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm, I'm not that sentimental. But in my, in my workshop, there's only one thing that has a name. What is it? My hammers. Oh, okay. They're all called Og. They're all of them. All of them are called Og. There's okay. little Og, middle Og, big Og. Big Og. They're all called Og. That's awesome. Why? Because of this verse right here. Didn't you just read it? Yeah, Og, King of Basham. <laughs> King of Basham. <laughs> That's so good. That is so awesome. Uh, Man, the I Bible call- says so. The Bible says so. Man, I call my fists Og. <laughs> They're the kings of fashion. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, now, nah, there's some really great stuff in this introductory passage right here. Mm. Okay, so uh, how many years and how many months have they been in the wilderness at this particular point? Um, 40 years, and did I read uh, 11 months? 
40 years and 11 months. Mm. So how much time have they got now to cross over into Israel? Uh, a month. Yeah, the, uh, two months. Two months. Because oh, the first day is the first day of the 11th month. Yeah. So they've got two months. Okay. So how much longer is Moses going to live for? Ooh, he's, he's at the end right here. He's at the end because he's not crossing into the promised land and he knows that. Mm. And it would be kind of a little bit strange, a little bit off-putting to know the, the approximate date of your death. Yeah, wow. Well. Uh, and so when you read the book of Deuteronomy, this is kind of like Moses' last will and testament. Mm. It's his last words. It's his final words. So often, you know, a person's final words are recorded as being of significance and Moses has the opportunity to write his final words and rather than just writing a few, you know, succinct statements that some people do on their deathbed because he is fit and he's healthy and his eyesight is perfect and he has full strength, he's like, I'm not just going to write a few, a few, you know, last sentences and then die. I'm going to write a whole book. Yeah. And so he does, and then he reads the whole book to the people. And so this is this is Moses' last will and testament that we have right here where he's sharing his last thoughts. And I think that's what makes the book of Deuteron- Deuteronomy so poignant in many ways mm. and so powerful. And one of the reasons that I love it so much mm. is because it is Moses, he, he, he's looking across the Jordan. He can see the promised land on the other side. He can't go there. But he knows that if the prophecy is going to be fulfilled, then Israel must cross that Jordan Mm. and must do it soon. Mm. It's about to happen. So he's about to die and he's like, okay, what can I do? These people have been nothing but trouble for 40 years. What can I do? What can I leave with these people Mm. that will convince them to be faithful to God? And so this this is Moses. Moses writes an appeal that is an entire book long. Wow. You know, you and I, we preach a sermon and we make an appeal at the end. It might be, you know, it, it might be two or three sentences. You know, sometimes we might get carried away and go for 10 minutes. I've seen some evangelists that have gone for 20. Some evangelists just, just preached an entire sermon. That's an appeal. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. When you're doing an evangelistic campaign, it's not unusual to have your last sermon as an appeal sermon. Mm. But this is an appeal book, and that's what makes Deuteronomy so incredibly powerful because from one end to the other, he is appealing to his people, stay close to God. Yeah, wow. Don't leave God. God loves you beyond what you can imagine. And God has untold blessings available to you. So stay close to God. Mm. All right, let's uh, look at um, verse 3 in particular. Okay, so verse 3 says, but 40 years after the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month, Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord had commanded him to say. Okay. What's the significance of the 40-year period at this particular point? What is the, what is the prophetic sign- significance of this fact? Is, is like in their immediate situation? Yeah. Well, they know that they're about to head into the promised land? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. So hold your finger there. Go back to uh, Numbers 14 and verse 34. Numbers 14 and verse 34. Mm. And let's see what they were told here. Numbers 14 and verse 34. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, 
a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. Okay, so what's the prophetic significance of that? Oh, we see day for a year principle given just here. You know, we see a type and an anti-type as well. Conclusion of the types um, in the the 40 years. But yeah, ultimately, God's telling them a fact. So the spies go and spy out for 40 years. Days. Days, sorry. And then they reject what Caleb and Joshua say, Mm. uh, two of the spies that return. And so God says, like, okay, the spies have been gone for 40 years. You're going back into the wilderness for 40 years, one day for one year. Mm. So this is actually a principle that you find in the Bible. And a lot of people, they see this in the Bible, particularly as it is used in Daniel chapter 9, the prophecy of Daniel 9. Mm. Others, you know, yourself, myself uh, in- included, would take this principle and say, well, if you're going to apply it in one apocalyptic prophecy, you need to be consistent and apply it across the board. You can't just pick and choose where you apply it and where you don't. Um, But when we use the day-for-a-year principle to interpret apocalyptic prophecy and the length of time periods in apocalyptic prophecy, are we basing that principle just on one verse? Is this the only verse in the Bible that we're basing it on? No. And no. we're not allowed to. Absolutely. Why are we not allowed to? Um, because there needs to be weight of evidence, like with anything yes. in the Bible. Absolutely, there needs to be weight of evidence. So the question that then comes is, um, so often we find people that are just sort of like, well, it's all just based on one verse or based on two verses. That's pretty thin. Is it thin? Let's find out. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so we're going to be looking at the uh, day for year principle because the book of Deuteronomy begins with the day for year principle. And this is an important principle to be able to actually understand Bible prophecy. Mm. So often we look at this and so many times people have come to me like, well, it's just based on one verse in the Bible or it's based on two verses in the Bible. And the reason is because, well, we often just use two verses in the Bible, but the fact is that this is a principle that runs from one end of Scripture to the other. Wow. Nothing is more watertight in Scripture when it comes to symbolic prophecy than the day for a year principle. Mm. Okay, so let's begin in Exodus 13 and verse 10. Lawson. Wow, I thought this was a Deuteronomy Bible study. Oh, we read six verses. Come <laughs> on. Okay, so I'm so, all right, I'm supposed to be satisfied from that. That's okay. right. Fair enough. Uh, Exodus 13 and verse 10. 10. The Bible says, So observe the decree um, of this festival at the appointed time each year. Okay, if you read that in Hebrew... It says, from days to days. Mm-hmm. Yours translated as the appointed time. Mine translated translates it as from one year, from year to year. Mm-hmm. And the reason the translators have put from year to year is because this was an annual festival. Yes. And so they've interpreted it as being from year to year. But it actually reads from day to day. Mm. Now, why does it use from day to day? Because a day in the Bible is symbolic of a year, and that is a well-understood principle, particularly by Hebrew people at this particular time. Let me give you another one. Uh, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 6. 1 First Samuel, Samuel 20 and verse 6. I'm just turning there now. Turn over a couple pages. Um, 
Do you hate that when you're turning so fast and you, you're like approaching the page and then you flick over? Okay, um, chapter 20 and verse 6, the Bible says in the book of First Samuel, If your father asks where I am, tell him I ask permission to go home to Bethlehem uh, for an annual family sacrifice. Okay, the Bible actually says, the Hebrew there says, not an annual sacrifice, it says the sacrifice of the days. Mm. So a day symbolizes a year. A sacrifice that comes on a particular day symbolizes that that is the entire year. Mm. And one of the reasons for this is because you've got a whole system of annual sacrifices in the Hebrew calendar, and when the days are fulfilled, it comes to it completes a year each time one of those sacrifices comes around. Mm-hmm. So day symbolizing a year. Now go down to verse 19. What does it say right there? In chapter 20 and verse 19, the Bible says, The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid before and wait there by a stone pile. Yeah, I've given you the wrong verse. I've written the wrong verse down, so I'm not sure where that verse is. But if we go back to First Samuel chapter 2 and verse 19... Wait a minute, First Samuel chapter two, chapter one and verse. Sorry, I'm getting them all confused here. First Samuel chapter one and verse twenty one. The Bible says, "And the man Elkanah and his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice." Mm-hmm. Whereas in the original Hebrew it says the sacrifice of the days. Mm-hmm. Day symbolizes the year. Yes. Uh, if we go to another verse, oh, there's a whole bunch of them here. Uh, let's go to Judges chapter 11 and verse 40. You know, we could probably go on reading these same kind of verses over and over and over again. You're going to find the same principle. But uh, Judges chapter 11 and verse 40. Judges 11 and verse 40, where the Bible says, For young Israelite women uh, to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. Which literally reads, from days to days, four days each year. Once again, a day symbolizing a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to First Samuel chapter 27 and verse 7, it literally reads, days and four months. But the context shows that it is a year and four months. Mm-hmm. If you go to First Kings chapter 1 and verse 1, uh, it says that David was stricken in days when he reached old age. He wasn't stricken in days. He was stricken in years. He was getting old in years. Mm. Uh, Genesis chapter 47 and verse 9, the Bible says, Jacob speaks of the days of my years have been long. Days symbolizing years once again. Uh, Genesis 5 verse 5 states that the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Mm. Day symbolizes a year. We could go on and on and on with this. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3 uh, is the first time that the prophecy in the Bible links days with years. So that's you know right back at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 6 and verse 3. You've got the very first day for a year, day for a year principle back there. Let's have a look at that one very quickly. Uh, the Bible says, My spirit will not always strive with men, for he is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Mm. A day is a year. Uh, so this is a, this is a concept that begins right at the very beginning of Scripture and then uh, runs all the way through. Okay, in the Old Testament, poetry. Days and years are employed in synonymous 
parallelism. And there's a whole bunch of verses. Uh, Job 10 verse 5, Job 15 verse 20, uh, Job 37, 32 verse 7, uh, Deuteronomy 32 verse 7. That one's coming up in our Bible study further on. Psalm 77 verse 5. Uh, you've got Psalms 90 verse 9 and 10 where the translation years of our lives literally mean, literally reads in the Hebrew, days of our years. Mm-hmm. So this is something that is... You know, we we often look at it, and, and believe me, I have just sort of scratched the surface here. I'm just sort of looking at the time and recognizing that, you know, we could go on and on here. Um, in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, days are used interchangeably with years, and you're going to find this in Ezekiel 13 verse three refers to the days of the Lord, but the day of the Lord, Isaiah calls it the year of the Lord. Mm. In Isaiah 61 verse 2, Isaiah 10 verse 3 speaks the day of visitation, but Jeremiah 11 verse 23, speaking about the same time, refers to it as the year of visitation. Isaiah 34 verse 8 speaks the year of recompense. Hosea 9 verse 7 refers to the day of recompense. Mm. Day symbolizes a year. Uh, Yeah, we could probably go on and on with this principle right here. I think you kind of get the point. There is verse after verse after verse after verse from one end of the Bible. Days in the Bible symbolizes years, and days are used synonymously with years. Mm. So this is a uh, an important uh, principle that we find in the Bible to understand what is taking place. And this is what comes up right here at the beginning of Deuteronomy when the Bible says that they were 40 years and 11 months. And God had prophesied for one day, one year for each day, that the spies had been in the promised land, uh, a day for a year, they would be in the wilderness. And that time has nearly come to a close and they are about to turn into the promised land. That's what we find in the book of Deuteronomy. We find Moses' last will and testament, his final words to the nation of Israel before he passes away. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It's The Breakfast Show Lawson and Shell were just discussing a new song yes. by one of our local artists Yes, that will be released soon. Mm-hmm. And Stay we're gonna, tuned. we're going to interview them on the day. Exclusive out something new. Faith FM Stay interview tuned. content. Yes. Dude, Absolutely. good stuff. All right. We were just previewing it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Just listen, like literally the file is called like blank song title. I'm not going to give it away. But then it's like mix master too. Like it's, this is like fresh out of the, cutting room floor like we've got we've got the source right here guys but right now we're going to get into the question of the day all right lyle our question of the day is how can we reconcile the god of love in the old and new testament where judgment in the old testament is visible and immediate but where jesus in the new testament allows for most of our lives to make that choice i know that god knows all and in him we should put all our trust but what in the bible can justify this apparent difference And that question comes from brayden okay good question um the simple answer is there's no difference The difference doesn't exist. There are some differences that exist, and we will talk about those. However, let's think about the New Testament for a moment. Uh, If we look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, you'll find that in Acts chapter 5. How long did it take for judgment to come on Ananias and Sapphira? Well, it... um it was immediate. Immediate, yeah. They died. Well, yeah. On the spot. And then three uh, three hours later, it was... So it was Ananias first, and then Sapphira (laughs) three hours later, so... 
That's right. There's judgment. Not much time. Judgment was immediate. What about uh, the story of Simon Magus? You know, when Simon comes in and, uh, you know, Sergius Paulus is, you know, accepting Jesus Christ and, and you know, he's trying to, you know, mess yeah. things up. And how long did it take before he was struck with blindness? It did, like immediately. It was instantaneous. Yeah. Other people say that the judgments in the Old Testament were more severe than those in the New Testament. Let's read the New Testament. Revelation chapter 14. And let's see if you can find anything like this anywhere in the Old Testament. There is nothing in the Old Testament that even comes close to this particular passage. Uh, Let me read it for you. This is the strongest language you find anywhere in Scripture. The Bible says in verse 9, The third angel followed them with a loud voice, saying, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out undiluted into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And so when you look at the Old Testament and you compare it with the New Testament, the New Testament actually has some instances of judgment that are more immediate mm-hmm. or equally immediate as the Old. And when it comes to the kind of language that is used and the kind of warnings that are given, you don't find anything like that. This is the only place in the Bible where you have undiluted mm. wrath being poured out. The only place. And that's about as far into the New Testament as you can get. So I'm going to say there's no difference. However, there is some differences between judgment in the Old Testament and judgment in the New Testament. And so if you look at uh, many of the laws that were in the Old Testament, you will find that you know there were laws that had civil penalties. Yes. You know, if you lie, this is the penalty. If you steal, this is the penalty. If you murder somebody, then this is the penalty. And so some people wonder, well, why don't we have those kinds of laws in the New Testament? The answer is very simple. In the Old Testament, they were under a theocracy. In the New Testament, they were under a Roman, they were under a Roman, well, it was kind of a democracy, it was kind of an autocracy, whatever you want to call it. But they were under Roman rule. And so therefore they were under Roman laws and Roman legislation. As here in Australia, we are not under a theocracy. The theocracy began with Moses and ended with the Babylonian invasion. After the Babylonian invasion, they were successively under uh, Greek rule, then Persian rule, sorry, Persian rule, then Greek rule, then Roman rule, then you had the diaspora, and then you had the creation of the secular government in 1948. And so all of those governments, none of those governments have been a theocracy, and so you can't have the civil penalties of the theocracy in a government that is not a theocracy. You can't have a death penalty where there is no theocracy. And so there's very different, and of course, you know, this is one of the reasons why also you'll find that when it was a theocracy, God's people would go to war. Mm. You don't have that when there's no theocracy. It doesn't happen when there's no, you can't have God's people going to war when there's no theocracy. Mm. So it's a very, very different uh, governmental structure between the two. And of course, a governmental structure that was under the direction of God. And we live under a secular government here in Australia as well. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.